Hi there, everybody. Welcome to these, this uh, special bonus episode with Kriegel. Just got off the phone with him in Switzerland. Uh, these were basically all of your questions. You guys submitted a ton of questions both before the main show and then after. And uh, he was kind enough to get back on and share a ton of great knowledge. Uh, we talk harnesses, we talk instruments, we talk uh, progression, training, acro, skills. We talk all kinds of stuff. Of course, a little bit about the X Alps. And if you, you had questions about that, food and hydration, blisters, um, what he would change if he could. This was a blast. You're going to enjoy it. I loved it. And uh, I don't have any housekeeping. This is just a bonus for all of you, all the, those of you who support the show. Spread the word. Let everybody know that this kind of stuff is out there. And uh, see you at Cloudbase. Enjoy. Kriegel, welcome back to the show. I'm really excited to ask you these questions that came in uh, via the Facebook and the social medias, uh, fans of yours and fans of the X-Alps and, and uh, folks that just been listening to the show. So I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, so welcome back. Thanks for your time. I understand you've just had a big move uh, with your family to a new place in Switzerland there. I, I know that's always a, a major challenge, so congratulations. And I thought we might start it off with the Dolomiti Man. This is kind of the first big event you've had since the since the X-Alps. I know you had some pretty massive recovery after the X-Alps, so uh, why don't we start there? How how the Dolomiti Man go? Yeah, yeah. After the X-Alps, I was really um, damaged. I had to recover for a, quite a long time, longer than the other editions. And uh, I also stopped my training. But for the Dolomite Man, the, the special thing was it was very short, but very fast. So as fast as possible, for sure. And um, yeah, we, we were a bit unlucky with weather. Um, the wind and the cloud was too strong in the altitude, so we had to, to shorten the, the the race, the paragliding uh, discipline. So that was just the lower part, and it was um, yeah, it was running for 13 minutes uphill and flying down all in one. It was um, 15 minutes, quite short race, but for sure very very hard. <laughs> yeah, 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 a lot of vertical, really fast. Yeah, that's another another kind of hiking fly. Well, cool. And how do the next couple of months look for you we, we were talking about before we started recording you're going to be giving some presentations in in switzerland I, I believe about the race and also maybe a little bit about your life in november maybe tell me a little bit about bit about that and uh and also can we see that online or how, how can the rest of us uh, watch these presentations yeah actually i, I prepared uh, the presentation for for november because um, many people ask about uh, how it was on exiles how i do and and generally what I do in, in my sport and my, my work, and uh, I prepare a presentation about two hours to speak about uh, all my work, all the adventure races. And yeah, it's the hard work, but it's a very, very nice um, part because I, I, can, I see all the movies and pictures I did in the last years. And uh, it's a lot of experience I, I, I watch now. And to, to bring all this experience in, in two hours presentation, it's very difficult, but also good fun at the moment. Yeah, that would be a blast. Well, hey, before we actually get into the questions, it would be very remiss of me to not uh, – I, I said this a little bit on our in our original talk, but – uh, a couple of my fly buddies here, uh, Nate Scales and Matt Beechner, really wanted me to hammer home that the invitation here uh, is not just one of these. Uh, this is a last. This is a very real <laughs> invitation to get you out to the Rockies. We have put together. If you can come, uh, we can cover everything, probably <laughs> even your flight. So we've got a house, we've got a truck, we've got a retrieve driver, we've got everything you need to come here and show us how to fly these mountains. So I hope uh, one of these days you'll. You'll, you'll take us up on that. <laughs> okay, well, cool. Well, let's let's get into it. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of questions here. I just want to rip through them uh, in, in absolutely no particular order. Uh, mm -hmm. The first one is, it's actually one I'm pretty curious about, is harnesses. Uh, we had a question come in about what you prefer to use. Do you use a seat plate? Do you not? Obviously, for the X-Alps, you're just using a, a hammock harness like we all are and very, very lightweight. But what do you prefer? What's your opinion on it? What should people be using, uh, especially for competitions and racing? Uh, give us give us the lowdown, the, the Kriegel view on harnesses. 
Yeah, that's a good question because I start with the normal harnesses. It was very heavy with the board. And then for the X-Alps I did 2009, I started to think about the weight. And there was uh, uh, some prototypes of, of uh, hammock harnesses around and we could see that it was just um, working well and was more light. So we were developing with advanced, very light harnesses. And um, finally, I think to have good comfort and good feeling with the wing, it's it's better to have a plate. And if you want to go really light, then it's more efficient without plate. And uh, for sure, it's it's um, not easy to tell to anybody what's the best because I feel that when I fly a harness, it can make the bigger difference than when I change wing. So it's very important to fly a new harness with the same wing to to feel the difference. And then finally to decide um, about myself, what's my feeling and what I like. And um, then I choose my harness. But um, finally, I do different categories, different disciplines in paragliding. So I need different harnesses. And my my heaviest one, it's the competition harness with two reserves, 11 kilo. And the lightest one, it's uh, the F-Lite. It's almost um, nothing. <laughs> less than 100 gram and so yeah it's a question for what i need the harness more than uh, how i feel really in the harness okay um last time we talked a little bit about your choice of using a three-liner in the x alps versus you know when you're racing and using a two-liner I, I had some people that asked me if you could clarify to talk about it a little bit more because there's you know with the with the release of the Xeno by Ozone, um, I think a lot more people are flying a, a two liner now than than ever before because of the Xeno. Um, are we are we heading back into a 2011 type scenario, or not, and why, and how much, you know, for for those people that are considering moving up to a two liner, how much more dangerous? Are they? You know how how much how much different is it mm. flying a two liner than a three liner? My experience also with the Sino is um, that this wing it's it's specially good, so it means um, it's very easy to fly and a lot of fun. And finally, the canopy is so stable, so it's so not often that you have collapse. So it's my experience was that I had. 50 hours with the Sino without the collapse and uh, <laughs> it's never happened with the, with the three line because the three line are not so stable and maybe you can't feel the collapse come later mm. and it means what's the question my question is what's more safe and I say hmm, with the three line maybe I have more collapses but they are less aggressive and with the Sino it's it's maybe the collapse more aggressive but there are less collapse. So in generally about one year experience, there is not big difference. And finally, you can see how many wings are flying in the world. And not every pilot is a good pilot, I think, with the Thino, but not everybody fell, fell down. So it, it, it shows that, that this wing is very good. And I think the, the two liner are... Um, more complicated in really tough conditions, but 95% of the conditions are well. That means 95% of the flights are safe with the Tino. So, <laughs> mm. yeah. And in this 95%, also you have the advantage of the performance, of the feeling, of the stability, of the speed. And um, it's uh, after one year of, of experience, it looks very good for this type of wings. But I think it was very important to get the finger of attention with the real two-liners because they came too dangerous. And after some accidents, the development was more in direction of safety. And now we have two-liners with a lot of safety. And this makes really sense. So in the future, I think we have more and more two-liners, or it means hybrid two liners which are very performant and also safe hmm. and uh, maybe the image of these wings 
are a little bit too good. It means sometimes it sounds that everybody can fly this wing. And for sure, if the, if the level of the pilot is not good enough, this kind of wing can be also very dangerous. And we, we have to take care to not to forget that it's a real high-performance wing. It's an it's a END wing. And it feels easy, but it can be also dangerous because it's a, a high-performance wing. Sure. Uh, on that note, where do you see, I know, I know you've been involved in the past with uh, testing and developing for Advance and others, but where do you see wing technology going? You know, are, are we, are we going to see another big jump like with the shark nose technology or are all wings in the mm -hmm. future going to be light? Uh, and what, what, where do you see that heading? I don't know exactly, but, but I think that, that many companies work on the wings and you know as more it's um, it's focused on the on 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 the one um for example these paragliders as more they can bring um success it means that the wing in future is is more light more performant and more fun to fly i think we can have all these points in one product hmm. uh, maybe it's it's the same with the with the kites years ago there was for different winds, the, there is a need of, of five or seven sizes of, uh, of, of sails to change in different wind conditions. And um, now they have one, one wing. Sure, you're talking um, for kites. Yeah, because there, there's so much deep power now. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's amazing. Yes, yes. Deep power and stability and technology. And maybe in, 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 in 10 years, we have one, one wing to, to do everything, to do acro and cross country and hike and fly, <laughs> tandem maybe. So, um, and then, then you can, you can take one wing in the morning and you can do everything. <laughs> yeah, that'd um, be cool. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Switching, switching gears a little bit. I'm just kind of rolling through these, but, uh, mountain weather, you're, your ability to read, and we just had Hansa on the show, you, who you know, of course, through the X-Alps campaigns, and then he's a, he makes a living as a meteorologist, and he was bringing up the, you know, the three main different kinds of weather being synoptic, you know, so the stuff that we're looking at in the models, and then the localized weather, you know, more geographical, and then the thermic weather, the stuff that changes as the sun passes through the sky. Uh, but you you seem incredibly adept at um, at reading mountain weather and using it to your advantage while you're in the air. You know, uh, knowing that you know seeing Cirrus come in and top landing just in time and then carrying on afterwards. I realize this is just an hours thing and intuition, but how do you how do you teach some of those skills about reading mountain weather to your students? And, and learning that mm -hmm. and, and kind of uh, getting more fingertippy with that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I, I think that I started to fly, or generally I, st I, I live in the Alps and uh, I never had weather forecast really. And I started to fly without weather, weather forecast. So when I had time beside my work, I tried to fly and in all the conditions. So. Later on, when I went into to a more organized work or when I was um, trying to go really far for a cross-country flight, I really tried to, to analyze the weather forecast to be more successful. And um, I never had a really good feeling with the weather forecast because they are often wrong. So I, I really tried to to feel what the weather does during the day. And um, then when I see, or when I feel that it changed something, then I really think about what I can do because we can't change the weather, but we can change strategy. And I really tried to do this. And uh, maybe because I started to move in the Alps, to, to fly in the Alps without really checking the weather forecast, um, I, I get a, a, a good feeling about now I, I really 
try to understand the forecast and the different models. And also when I do the hike and fly competitions, I, I have to know what's happened in the day, in the next days. But um, finally, the experience of moving in the in the Alps without forecast helps me a lot. Okay. Um, when you, again, thinking about your students, you know, let, let's assume that maybe a lot of our listeners are probably in the boat of maybe a hundred hours a year kind of pilots, you know, so um, maybe a little bit more than the weekend pilot, but not much more and maybe one or two mm -hmm. trips a year. Um, where should these kinds of pilots be focusing most of their time in, in your experience? What, what are the, what are the kind of foundational stuff that that's, that's really key and maybe often missed? Mm -hmm. yeah, it's always a mix between training and praxis and for sure if you have more time you want to go more um progressive successful then for sure it's it's better to have more praxis but also you need more training focus training it means um, safety training or um, theoretical stuff like weather forecast planning all these things but also ground handling it's a very important part especially if the weather it's not good for flying but maybe good enough for ground handling it's good to have one hour in a month of ground handling hmm. maybe in, in in limit conditions it means around wind of 25 to 30 and in this wind you can really go to your own limit and you make some progress it means not only on the ground it means also after in the air so it's not always um, flying experience. It's very important. It's also all around, which, which you can uh, which you can bring you in a, in a better position. And sometimes the normal people they forgot this praxis. They just like to fly, but they're wondering that they don't can make progress. Mm, sure, that's great. Uh... How do you view how do you view your acro training with your cross country? In, in other words, how important is it to you know become a pretty proficient acro pilot um, to flying well distance? You know, we saw we saw that uh, kind of highlighted this year with with Pal Tackets, and you know he did incredibly mm -hmm. well, and he's you know obviously yeah. amazing acro pilot. Um, but I, I've been trying to push people in, into acro for a long time, feeling like it's a it's a really important discipline. But you know, I I know you've got a lot of acro background. How do you how do you view those two? I don't think it's really important, but it 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 really can help. But in aerobatic, it's more important to have the really good feeling. It means if you don't like this cheap force, it's not efficient to do acro training because you feel bad and maybe a little bit angry, and then it's 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 very um, it, it's not professional. So it's mm -hmm. better to focus on on your own wing in cross country and do maybe trying to fly um, some precise landings or takeoff in different conditions it means ground handling in strong wind and um, and to, to to find out what really is is your goal and to focus how you can go there instead of doing um different disciplines it means also you have to have a good feeling on the aerobatic you also have to change wing and uh, the wing makes a difference so sometimes people try to do acro with with the normal EN B or C wings, and they feel it's really it's really difficult. For example, to fly a sat or a helicopter, and if you take a big acro wing, which is made for aerobatic maneuvers, it's a big different. It's much more easy. So you have to really think about that also. Instruments, Kringle. What do you use? Yeah, what what do you use in comps, and what do you use in when you're thinking about weight? You know, like in the X Alps, and then tied to that, do you do any of the instruments you use? Do they have? Do you use like a, an app that has a thermal mapping tool? Do you use that, and do you use sync tone? And if you do, what threshold? <laughs> First of all, I hate sync tone. 
<laughs> because it makes me nervous. It means I like to have a sign when it's climbing. The beep makes me um, positive because I know it's going uphill. So I like to have this sound. But if it goes down, I hate this. So <laughs> I don't want to know that it goes down. <laughs> and uh, I mean, if, it, if it's climb, I can change my, my turn. And uh, sometimes I can optimize. But if it really goes down, for sure you can fly with more speed or less. But in generally, you can't really optimize the sink. You understand? Mm -hmm. It means um, the climb, it's much more important to optimize than the sink. And therefore, I also try sometimes to fly with a thermal uh, assistant. Mm -hmm. This I get easy from my um, exit track uh, app. And um, yeah, sometimes it helps, especially in the flats, but in the mountains, often it's not important to have this. And my question is how much help I can use. So it means too much technique um, makes me unsure, or I don't know the word, when you check different things and not focusing on the main thing. <laughs> so it means too much technique also can lead me to to not focusing on the on the really important thing it means thinking about the terminal and and uh, the flight direction for example and i really like to have easy instruments but for the competitions for sure these um, big triangles to calculate all this you need assistance so it's always a mix between um the the the, the discipline and in fact, I need for sure. I have my cell phone with the XT Track app and the XC Tracer. It may it's a very good variometer with Solar, mm -hmm. and so I have the the sound and the, the navigation in two small instruments. And if I go cross country or really competitions, I have my Flymaster, which also makes the life tracking. The life mm -hmm. tracking, which I need, it's very interesting for people at home or also for my own safety. And finally, I also like to have the Naviter because Naviter, they show me everything on, on one instrument. And yeah, so I play always a little bit. So the for the X-Alps, just to summarize, for the X-Alps, you're just using phone and XC Tracer. In the phone, you use the XC Track app. Yeah. And then for the competitions, you add uh, another dedicated Vario and the Naviter. Big one, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In Xups, I really like to optimize everything. So I have my cell phone, which I have the, the communication, the Exit Track app for the navigation in the air, and the OSM app for navigation on the ground. Okay. And yeah. finally, we, we also have to carry the Flymaster. Mm -hmm. And so I had two instruments because it's an electric instrument. So you never know it works or not. <laughs> So it's good to have a backup, but um, yeah, in competitions, I add a, a big instrument like the Naviter sure. UD3, UD4. It's a, yeah. Great. The In the last one, we talked about this a little bit, but people are really curious about your your work. Um, I'm assuming that you you know, your living is made from paragliding. Is there any way, can you parse that out for us in terms of, you know, what 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 percentage is guiding what percentage is sponsorship what percentage is racing kind of how you mm -hmm. yeah how many how many areas are there and and how do they kind of divide up yeah it's it's always shifts a little because um of the of, of how much people they ask me to do for example um, coachings or how much companies they ask me to do presentations in the winter time but in generally it's 20 percent so it's 20 percent um, sponsoring shipping competitions in, in summer 20 percent tandem flights to 20 percent and um, coachings and 20 percent um, speeches hmm. and um yeah depends of the weather it's always the, yeah. <laughs> the problem of the paragliding pilot but um, I like to switch in between the the nature and the office and yeah 
I play like this for five years already, and it's good to have this job. And how do you, uh, the, the next question's kind of tied into that. Um, you, you said in, in the show, in the main show, that you fly about 300 hours a year. How do you, how do you manage your work, which is paragliding those 2020, 2020s, um, with your family? Uh, that, that's one of the main questions we get. It's not just really for you, but people that, you know, have families are often really curious how professionals like yourself also have families and you have enough time. Um, so the, the, the exact question was, do you have dedicated downtime for your family or does that just happen because of weather? How do you manage it? And I guess in a, <laughs> it's a kind of a long question, but how, how do you, how do you manage, um, the, the, the kids and your wife with flying? Yeah, that's not, not so easy because, uh, of all this work and I have fixed days where I, um, play with the kids where I, where I say it's my Sunday, actually it's Friday <laughs> and, uh, I have my, my plan with the holidays with my kids also so i try to, to focus on on these days and weeks and so they have to fit otherwise it's really difficult um, especially when i sit in the office at home and the kids like to play with me so they have to understand that i stay at home but that, that i work mm. that's my work and uh, when i when they was young it was not so easy to explain them but they grow up and more and more easy that they understand mm. and then generally my family have to, to to understand my mother my my, my everybody around me they they learned how it works because you know it's not it's not often or not usual just that the that the sports guy can can bring money for all the family mm. but i'm yeah I, I go in like this step by step I was working for advanced in, in test pilot and so it was something in between and now I stay completely self-employment and yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Kriegel, your, your Lee and rotor skills are, are, are legendary. And one of the, we got this question a lot. How do, how do you, how do, should people approach that kind of training? Cause you, you talked a little bit on the show about, you know, going out in the snow and, flying behind cornices and that kind of thing but how, how do people kind of put their toe in the water to to develop those skills because especially in the alps flying in the lee is critical you you just have to do it but it can be quite dangerous uh so how do you mm -hmm. yeah how do you approach that with your with your students i guess the biggest problem for me it's to go step by step it means when i don't know the steps <laughs> it's a big danger so if you fly into a lee which you don't know if it's a big step or a small step that's the problem you're yeah we're we're honest and uh, finally i check my feeling because not every day i have a good feeling mm. and sometimes i feel really comfortable and i can push my limit more or it means if i take a big step, a step which normally is too big, I can manage on a really good day. And if I have a bad day, it means I feel bad, I, I'm a bit angry, and I don't... Um, sometimes I say, mm, I don't like to fly. But because I have to fly, I go. And in these days, the steps have to be really small. Because if I take a big step, for sure it's not good. And this feeling, I say it's my stomach feeling. And everybody has this, but we really have to learn to trust or to listen on this feeling and to trust this and to go um, only steps with a good feeling. And yeah, it's the only way I can explain. <laughs> yeah, intuition. Okay, a specific XOPS question. I, I really like this one too. Uh, did you know after day three that you would win uh, given what you saw the others doing? And then if so, uh, or you thought you maybe had a good chance, did you set any kind of pace accordingly or do you always just go as hard as you can? No, when I was lead, I, I really think about to, to take care of my energy, my body, because 
I I had the the feeling that when I stay in front, um, the others have to push, and if they catch me, I still in front, so I can a little bit um, slow down, and if they catch me, I I can start to push again. And this was my tactic, and you know when you when I can stay in a lead, I can really enjoy. The, for example, the decisions I do, I can do it more precise because I'm not in a hurry. And if I take care about my speed, I can take better decisions and it helps me to be more efficient. But when we analyze the tracks, I was really on an edge that, for example, Pötnio, Kaspar, he catch me almost, but finally he did small um, unprecise decisions and it, it stops him um, immediately mm. and finally i was a bit lucky that he had that he had to end to stop his race for sure it helps to to be more relaxed in the race and i was really on the border with my knee so the, the injury on my knee was not too funny and i know that when i push too much on the ground maybe ha i have to stop too and i was very careful with with walking on the flat hmm. yeah. jump in here a little bit what is the single most underrated technique when flying xc so i'm assuming this question is looking for you know is it is it better thermaling is it better gliding is it better headspace is it better training is it better siv hmm. maybe it depends on the pilot because hmm. And not all the pilots are on the same level. And it's also my work to find out what's the next step for for pilot X. Um, not not for for everybody it's the same way, the the best. And uh, I think in generally to to have fun, to to set some goals, to follow these goals, it's a good good way. And for for sure, it's good to enjoy the flight, but to be more efficient, it's good to set goals and to reach these goals. Because with all the reach, reach goals, you have better um, motivation or a better feeling. You are more proud about yourself, and then you can set the next um, bigger goal and to to try to catch that. And for sure, you have to know that many details play in so it means especially the weather if you set a goal it's maybe just 30 percent you as a pilot 70 percent is the weather decide if you can reach this goal or not but with all the experience you do in this flight or in this uh, reaching the goal you can analyze it if it was you or the weather or something else and as more experience you get as better you can say um, how you can reach or how you can set goals and how you can reach this. You mentioned fun in there, how important it is to have fun. What do you do? What do you do for fun other than fly? I know you're, you're quite into backcountry skiing and you know, and I don't know, many people probably don't know about all the other stuff that you do. What's, what's a, what your, what's your non paragliding life look like? <laughs> Yeah, I, I do actually I do a lot of um, endurance training, so hiking up, do trail running. In bad weather, I, I like to run without back, just for two three hours, hiking trail up and down, and just to enjoy. And if I go flying, I try to go specific flying on acro training or cross country, or carry pilot uh, people with me in a tandem. And for all these um, flying goals, I take the special specific wing and I try to find the best spot be, um, with the with the weather actual weather forecast. And yeah, sometimes I, I really take the the best decision of the day, and then I'm really happy about. Sometimes I I miss, and then I can learn from it. And yeah, that's the fun. 5x alps what have you learned about food and hydration and blisters 
And that was one of the questions we did. We did a race or we did a, a big, a really good talk with a guy named Matt Wilkes, who's a, in a kind of an expedition ER doc. And he had a, he, they did a, that fun thing on Kilimanjaro a couple of years ago. He was the expedition doc for that. And he wanted me to ask you that. Is it, is that really changed um, over the, over the years of the races or uh, do you just eat whatever yeah. you can? <laughs> yeah. I, I push more and more to the limit and I know that I really have to take care of what I eat because of, of pushing more to the limit. And normally it's, it's important to, to eat as much as possible, but as faster you go, as more you have to take care of what you eat because of the body, that the body can take all the food, all the energy in. And when you, for example, when it's very hot, and you push too much on the ground, you have to drink more than four, five liters. It, for myself, it goes up to seven, eight liters a day. And then it's very important to have not only water, that you also take um, salt and sugar. Mm. And it's also good to have some um, uh, special salt. It means bouillon, to take some... Um, you know the water from mm. the pasta when you cook pasta. Yeah, sure. It's very good to to drink this this, um, and so there was small points where we adjust to, during the years, but yeah, the most important is to organize when I go out, when I go away from my support, that I have not too much to carry, not too much food, but that I have enough. Mm. And for this, also I took more and more this um carbohydrate powder which i can do in the water during the walk it's around 200 gram and i can drink and eat with this more than thousand calories mm -hmm. so it's a very efficient light uh, weight food and yeah things like this i learned and i was very lucky to have no blisters my feet my socks with my shoes almost are perfect what i did it's in the normal shoes they have a very cheap um inlet thing mm -hmm. how do you say that yeah yeah the, the which soles. you can change yeah the soles yes and what i did is i organized or i buy very good uh, soles it means they, they they are made especially for my food on one part and on the other part they have a really stable shape it means when I do running or hiking down, especially, the sole stay in shape and not and make some um, blisters. Mm. And I tried a lot of um, which socks in, on which soles works well. Mm. And when I found out this, I changed the soles in all the shoes and it's perfect. Hmm. That's that's excellent. Yeah, that was uh, my feet look like somebody beating on them with a hammer on the first one in 2015 and we we got it sorted this year which makes things a lot more pleasant <laughs> that is yeah that yeah. is a lot of pain um talk to me about speed bar and and speed to fly uh i i saw you made a comment you know near the end of the race when your knee was hurting really badly you said it was it was hard because you couldn't use full speed um i i, I think the speed bar you know even for the really good pilots remains a little bit of a mystery to, in a sense, you know, that you're, you know, in competition, you're just hammering bar because everybody is, um, but, but break it down for us a little bit more and take some of the mystery out of it. Yeah. Finally, the question is how much it's enough mm -hmm. or how much you have to pull. And in, you know, in, in short cross-country competitions, most, most of the pilots fly full, full speed because you know exactly where to fly and where it's the best core of the terminal. And then the, the full speed is the most efficient. But in cross-country, especially in, 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 in um, adventure races, when you fly long flights in a day and you fly most of the time alone, then it's not full speed the most efficient so i changed my tactic to half speed or maybe three third uh three four percent three quarter yeah. and yeah because then 
it's more relaxed to fly. It's less work on the bar or on the B risers. And you can hold this speed for, for a long a day. It means it, it's um, more relaxed for your body, for your feet. But if you go in high, um, in, in very strong wind conditions, for example, if you go down in the valley breeze or in the fern, you have to push more and to, to know where is the limit of your equipment, your glider, your body, you have to know exactly what you can do. And it's also good training. For example, in, in windy conditions, you have to know what is the limit. So you have to learn this in weak conditions. And you also can train this in, in normal conditions where you say, okay, I do a speed bar training and I fly from each turn to the others with full speed. Maybe it's not important, but I train this feeling. And like this, you can improve your your feeling, your reactions on the on the bar. And then if you have to use it, you know how it works. Hmm. Okay, we're getting down to the last ones here, uh, or maybe even the last one. Uh, who are your mentors in the sport and, and why? We all have mentors. Do you, I, I can't imagine that you do, but I'm sure you do. <laughs> yeah no in swiss we have roger federer the tennis player yeah and and he's very strong all the time and uh, he was very successful and everybody talks about he have to stop because he, he will he will um not be successful anymore and he was uh for a long time he was very successful and he always say you know i just have fun to play and I really understand what he means. And as long I have fun, I, I like to compete because in my situation, there are people, they say the same. I have to stop because um, I can't do more than to win. But I feel that I really have fun in the competitions and all the competitions are a new game, new weather, new situations. And so I have my mentor, Roger, that, that he really say because he have fun he like to play hmm. Hmm. i like that um <laughs> finally your brother uh you've done some amazing flights and some really cool videos uh with your brother you guys have done some huge stuff together and then of course he's uh amazing competition pilot are we going to see him in in these kind of races in the future or is that that not his bag <laughs> i push him but he don't really like to walk. <laughs> and um, I remember when I start for X-Alps, training for X-Alps, I was 26. And I was watching out for a new adventure or for a new life. It means I want to push myself in another direction. It means the enduring sport. And then I was motivated to, to train with the goal to do X-Alps. In this period, the the level of the athletes was not really, really high. But there was Tomako Konea pushing on the ground, but there was not so many others. They really push hard. Mm. And at the moment, my brother is eight years younger. So if he likes to start or to do X-Alps, he knows what's the level. And when he compare, for example, flying or running, he compare with me. So he compare with the with the best and then it's really hard to to find the motivation to start but maybe sometimes he will start and then we will see what he can do yeah yeah um griegel that's it thanks so much i i'd love to hear before we close you know what are you what, what kind of mode are you in between now and and 2019 do you do you even think about the next race for the winter or um, yeah, it, tell me, tell me about how you approach that. You've done it five times, you know, I've just done it twice, but it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I imagine at the end of the race, you know, I, I always think, okay, I can take a nice long break, but it, it's never that far away. Is it? Yeah. yeah. No, it's especially when I think about the break, then it's too late for 19. So <laughs> my opinion, it's to have two years time to be better. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I really happy to, to focus on, I have the big 
gold, XOPS 2019. But I know it's a long time uh, until there. So I focused on small goals. And for, for example, next year there's XPIR, starting from the Atlantic to the Mediterranean Sea, mm. crossing all the Pyrenees. And it's also a beautiful adventure race. And to do this, I know I have to do the training. And for this, I, I plan some um, ski touring races in the winter. And now my training is um, with the Dolomite Man. And next week is um, Red Bull Elements. It's also a, a super small or super short hike and fly race. And I do training for this. It means my training's during maximum one and a half hours at the moment but very intensive. And then for the winter, I do a break, and then I start with a good ski touring training, and then power training, and then I hope to be ready next summer for the XPIR. And then I check if everybody fits well, if I stay healthy. I do the inscription for Red Bull XOPS 2019, and if I select it, I think about to start. <laughs> if you're selected. <laughs> I hope they do. <laughs> I think you're kind of a shoe in there. Um, yeah, cool. That, that, that's, I, okay. Then I, I got to ask you one more question about the, about the, uh, you mentioned the X-Pier and the um, X-Alps. Uh, I'm going to have Christoph Weber on the show here pretty mm -hmm. shortly. And I know he hasn't, you know, Hannes used to be the race director, but it's really mostly just to get his perspective of, how the race has changed and, you know, the new rules and, you know, what, what would he change? What would you change about the race? If you, you know, you, <laughs> you've seen it, you've seen it now five editions. Um, you've changed, you've seen it change from, you know, uh, you could go all night to having a night pass. Uh, you know, there are teams flying with, you know, have four different cars and a whole bunch of people and a bunch of guys in the air, uh, you don't do it that way, nah. but you know, what's your opinion on that? And, and what's your opinion? What, where would you like to see the race go? Would you like to see it rewind a little bit or are these steps they've taken good steps? I see two views. One view, it's my view. It means the athlete view and the other view, it's the event, the organization view. And for the organization, it's clear to, to have an, a, a race, an event which they can sell and for this it needs for example turn points where they can visit the athletes mm. that they can sell these turn points and it, it also makes it more interesting maybe for sponsors or fans but in athlete view this is the big bullshit yeah. <laughs> to 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 focus i'm really on the limit on the on the on the nature on on everything else then to fly down in the town to sign a board. <laughs> yeah. But I think that makes it also unique, this race, that, that you have these two sides. And if I can, can, uh, can, can do an adventure race where I go alone without any support um, to try to organize myself all the day, all the night, it will be very uh, a good adventure. But for sure, it's very close to cheat. It means... In this in this rule, every athlete have somewhere some friends they help mm. with food and, and and things, and maybe it's very difficult to control these um, rules. But I also like to have a team because the preparation it's very interesting in a team to race in a team. I feel very good, but everybody have to know by self how much help he need if it's one car or three cars. For us, it was good to have one car, three people. And so we, we stay really flexible. Everybody had have to run or to fly by self. So it's difficult to have more help. And yeah, actually, I, I say I'm the athlete and I go to a competition with some rules and I try to focus on what we have to do instead of thinking what's the best to do. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah. And what about the night pass thing? Just curious. Cause I, I, I wasn't around when, yeah. when you guys could go all night. Would you prefer that they didn't have that? That you could just go and yeah, the night pass. Out? I think it's a bit, um, 
marketing things yeah. because if if I can use the night pass, it will be an option when I don't have to announce it before the night. So to say at 12 in the day, what do you have to do? Or where you stay in the evening, that's very difficult. Mm. But if you change the rule to, to, to have a night pass, which you can choose for safety, it means if you're not ready at half past 10 to stay in a hut or in a accommodation, then you can use it. Then it's very helpful. Mm. But to to use it for for pushing, it's very dangerous. Or for me, it's very dangerous because I know if I don't sleep enough, I will have problems on the next or the next days to have the right um, fitness for my decisions and everything. Mm. So it's for me, it's not an option to push all the night during the race. Maybe the last night for sure you can do, but <laughs> yeah it takes it out of you Kriegel thanks so much is there uh, is there anything you'd like to add before we sign off I really really appreciate it I think people are going to be thrilled with this no for me it's, it's very interesting to hear all these questions maybe in a few weeks or months they have you have more questions and then we can speak again great because um, yeah I like to help other people like this and to spread my experience. Great. So thank you for calling me and putting all these informations together. And I, I like this, yeah. Awesome, well, cool. Well, I, I look forward to seeing your presentation in, in November and uh, we'll put that up. For those yeah. of you listening, all the questions that we just asked, those will also be in the show notes. And uh, thanks, Greg, mm -hmm. talk to you soon. And good luck with everything. Thank you, Kevin. Yes, thank you. Cheers. Good night, bye-bye. Good night. Thank you.